The scripture reading for today is taken from Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in, the, as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright of heart. Now we invite Pastor Vincent to give his sermon entitled, Confession, the Means of Grace and Healing. Good morning, brothers and sisters. And I think you have witnessed and enjoy every means of grace in the church. With seeing someone baptized in front of us, and it somehow reminds us of the good news that our sins has been cleansed off by the blood of Christ. And with seeing, observing, and enjoying holy sacrament in a church, we are constantly reminded of one thing, that 2,000 years ago there was a Savior who was willing to die for our sins. And let's not forget that one of the means of grace in the church is the communion, the mutual fellowship within the believers. We share, we talk about everything, we share our things. Now I think everyone, and every time when we participate in the Holy Communion Sunday, we confess our sins through the prayer on the slides, by reading the prayers, or by pray, um, confessing um, in the Sunday worship service. But let's ask the questions, what is the place of confession in our daily lives? In our modern culture, confession doesn't seem to be that important, don't they? And especially, we will notice one phenomenon in politics. Saying sorry and asking for forgiveness is not a habit. You don't really need to confess your sin. You don't really need to confess your wrongdoings to the public or even within the politics arena. The only thing you need to do is to just cover up all things, your wrongdoing, and that's it. Let your life go on, and that's it. You don't necessarily need to confess your wrongdoing. And it doesn't just happen in politics, but it also could be happening in your home, in your family. When you offended your family members, or when you offended your friends, would you sincerely go to them and ask, I'm sorry, and I have wronged you, and I have 
offended you, would you forgive me? Would you seek forgiveness from the offender? Now we all need to acknowledge that in our prayers, confession is somehow made in casual manner. It could be something like this, God forgive me, and I've sinned against you, done. But it's the confession without a deep reflection and repentance. Now I think it's time for all of us to revisit the topic of confession. One may think it's a shame to expose and to tell the other person, especially the offended, to expose our wrongdoing to them and to say sorry to them, it's a shame. Now from some point of view, it might sound true because none of us want to expose our wrongdoings and it could be a guilt and it could be a fear to expose your wrongdoings to the others because we might think what will people think about this can our relationship be reconciled be that tight as before lots of concerns but the word of God tells you this morning don't be afraid to confess your sin confession is the path for healing confession is the start for healing don't be ashamed and don't be afraid to confess your sins to God and to the people so this morning I will go through Psalm 32 and its background and I will also go through some of the teachings from the Puritans and also run between Psalm 38 and Psalm 51 because in some sense Psalm 38 and 51 echoes what David says in 32 because we all need to take a serious considerations at confession and repentance of sin instead of teaching everyone how to confess our sins and I think if we do not have a deep understanding of sin if we do not build a theology of sin we might take the means of grace of this confession lightly because as deep as how we understand sin we will surely cherish treasure this means of grace confession in the book of psalm there are seven famous confession psalms in the book of psalm which is psalm number 6 32 38 51 102 130 and 143 and Psalm 32 is one of it and it was written by David in response when he received the forgiveness of sin now what is what exactly was David's sin now we see we can all see David's sin in 2nd Samuel chapter 11 this is the old story and the famous story. David, he saw Bathsheba bathing while he was walking and David was attracted by her beauty. So he went, he asked someone to call Bathsheba to come to his room and have sex with her. And as a result, Bathsheba got pregnant. And the problem was that Bathsheba was a married woman. Her husband was a brave man on David's front line, Uriah, a brave soldier. 
what would happen if Uriah found out that this king, his beloved king, his beloved friend, had knocked up his wife? Will he revenge? Will he kill David? Will he assassinate David? We don't know, but according to human nature, that could happen. But we have also no doubt that David could be anxious about this, and he really wants to settle this in his way. So, in the account of Second Samuel eleven verses six to thirteen, you will see how sin turned David into a terrible. Horrible and cunning, wicked man. So David went to Joab, maybe one of the general in David's front line, and called Uriah retreat from the battlefield and to the Jerusalem palace to ask what was the conditions in the battlefield. And David told Uriah to go back and sleep, back to your home and sleep and have a rest. But instead of going back to his house to sleep. Uriah slept outside the palace with David's servant because Uriah is was thinking in this way: How can I go back to my house, to my comfortable bed, to enjoy the rest when my soldiers were fighting in the battlefield? And the next day, David called Uriah once again, and this time they ate and drank together, and David made Uriah. Drunk, and call him to go back to your house and sleep. But Uriah did not return to his home to sleep and rest. Now that makes sounds like the ordinary account in Second Samuel, but it tells us about David's evil plan. Please note that David twice asked. Uriah to return to his house and sleep. Now it's clear that David wanted Uriah to return to his house, to his home, to sleep with his wife, possibly by the means of legal sexual relationship between husband and wife, to make all the people think that the baby in the wounds of Bathsheba is from Uriah, not from David. And David began to realize that this plan won't work. What if he was found out? What if people know that the baby is from David? Now he was left with only one option. David used his power as a king and commanded Joab to place Uriah to the most fierce front line and let him be killed. And at the end, we all know that the plan worked well. Uriah, the brave man, the brave soldier, was killed at the front line. David's plans were successful, but David did not repent of his sin in this matter. David did not realize what he had done. God saw as evil. Now, through the experience of David's sin, the Puritan Ezekiel Hopkins has really deep insight. Consider, my friends, my Christians, little sins do usually make way and open a passage into the heart for the greatest and the vilest sins, and that was David's condition. 
when he saw Bathsheba, his excitement led him into temptation, and he thought he could play with that temptation. He thought it's okay to play with temptation. He thought it was just a little sin. It won't lead him into a vilest and greatest sin. But do you see the horror of sin? It turns a man with dignity, humanity, and the image of God into a terrible, fiercest, and ignorant beast. He will only continue to do many inhumane and evil, wicked things. So David was going to pay for his sin. He needs to bear the cost now. Second Samuel chapter twelve verse fourteen. Nevertheless, because by his deeds, by this deeds you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. David's sin gave the opportunity for the enemies to scorn the Lord. And even worse, in chapter twelve verse ten, it says the prophet Nathan said, "Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house." Now I would love to encourage all of us to go back and to read, ponder, to experience, look into the Second Samuel chapter thirteen to eighteen, and these chapters describe the darkest years of David's life. Each generation repeats David's sin. Each generation repeats David's adultery and murder. David's eldest son Amnon secretly, secretly raped his sister Tamar, defiled his sister, and just as how David defiled Uriah's wife, committed in adultery. David's son, another son Absalom, killed Amnon to seek revenge for his sister, and in the end, Absalom comes back to kill once he wanted to kill David. Just as how David wanted to kill Uriah, the family repeated the sins of David, and there's nothing David can do to stop the problems, the issues. There's nothing he can do to stop this family disaster. And not only family disaster, but David himself was also physically wounded by sin. And the psalm we. Listen, just now read by Brother Ephraim, we see that when he denied his sin, David said, "When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hands was very heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat, as by the heat of summer." The hand of God was upon David, was on David, and he felt depressed, and he felt he was accused. It was as if God was crushing David because David was sinning, and he believed that the depression was from God. And also, Psalm fifty-one is very similar to Psalm thirty-two in many ways. Fifty-one verse three says that for I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me, and sin is like a person standing before David, keep accusing David. You are doing something wrong, and you are a sinner, and you can't be redeemed. Sin is accusing him; his conscience kept accusing him, so that sin is keep bothering him. 
and he cried out to the Lord in verse 8 let me hear the joy and gladness let the bones that you have broken rejoice and another meaning for broken is crushed and we don't know how bad was David it seems like he was really seriously ill because of his sin we don't know how and Psalm 38 verse 2 to 8 is even more specific in describing the consequences of David's experience of sin God disciplined him in anger there is no soundness in my flesh because of my indignation no health in my bones because of my sin for my iniquities have gone over my head heavy like a burden that too heavy for me and the pressures of that sin was too much for David to bear and David despised himself so much and he finally cried out to the Lord and saying my wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness and my sights are filled with burning there is no soundness in my flesh again I'm feeble and again crushed and sin completely corrupt his body and his pain was unspeakable now my friends I don't think I need to give more examples of the consequences of sin the cause of David's sin should give us and should give you a sense of fear of sin because sin can attach us any moment we thought we can be like a king who live in the palace fortify ourselves with a bunch of soldiers and gods and protections and think we are safe in this palace but bear in mind that no king is safe no king is safe when the enemies is still standing outside of the gates waiting to assault and to kill and to attack the king and sin is doing the same thing we're so good at criticizing the politics, the filthiness of the other people. We're so good at criticizing the other people, but we are too less to reflect of our own sins, to reflect the harm that we have caused to the church and to the society, to the people. Instead of complaining about being offended by the other persons, we need and you need to reflect on whether you have offended God and men in which area is our present suffering due to the retribution of our previous unrepentant sins now while the cause of sin is so terrible but God offers us a means of grace a way that we can seek forgiveness from God by confessing our sins to him David was in despair and he can't bear it no more he almost gave up and it was at this point he realized that there's only one way to be reconciled to be saved and he said that I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity now you are to confess your sin to God and not to hide them David teaches that in verse 5 to confess our sin and not to hide our sin 
Now, my friends, confessing your sins to God can make you feel relieved. Have you ever been in the situation that when you offend someone and at first you thought it's fine, it's nothing, time will tell, time will heal. Just let it pass on, move on. But, it's, but as time goes on and moves on, somehow there is a sense of guilt inside your heart. And there is a promise and it tells you that if you don't say sorry, if you don't seek forgiveness to the offended person, there will, no be, there will be no sense of peace and the guilt will forever be ever follows you. And when you say sorry and ask for forgiveness from someone and especially from the offended, you are relieved. And that is especially true when we offend God. Now in this way, when we sin, we are actually indirectly or directly sin against God. And that's how David says in Psalm 51 verse 4, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Indeed, my friends, whenever we sin against someone, we are directly sinning against God. For that reason, we need to come to God and confess our sin. But let's not misunderstand David's meaning. David is not saying that it's okay to just confess our sins to God and do nothing to the offended. David, of course, I think he knew that his responsibility to the offended, to Uriah, to Bathsheba. And so the Westminster Confession of Faith says in this way, that a believer who has sinned as every man is bound to make private confession of his sins to God, praying for the pardon thereof upon which and the forsaken of them he shall find mercy. So he that a believer scandalizes his brother or the church of Christ ought to be willing by private or public confessions and sorrow for his sin to declare his repentance to those that are offended who are thereupon to be reconciled to them and in love to receive him. And we can even conclude David is like the prodigal son in Luke's gospel who said to his father, I have sinned against the father and I also have sinned against you. And yes, when we sin against someone and against God, confess to God and also confess to the offended. David definitely knew that the evil deeds to Uriah and Bathsheba and didn't think that it's simply enough to just confess our sin to God and there's no responsibility to the offended. But after all, David confessed that he has sinned and broken the law of God. He was ashamed of his sin and he poured out his heart to God and asked for his forgiveness. That's the forgiveness and that's the expressions of confession of sin when you confess your sin and know that you are forgiven joy will comes to your heart you will feel relief when you confess sincerely and that's how David said in verse 1 blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered but let us be clear about one thing 
David's confession of sin teaches us that no sin can escape from the eyes of God. No sin is beyond the eye of God. When you are sinning, God is actually watching. When it comes to the matter of sin, one of the most fundamental teachings a Christian must learn and grasp is God's complete knowledge of all things. He has the perfect knowledge about your sin, whether they be past, present, and future. From His perspective, no sin is secret. But let's be honest. Sometimes we can live as though God did not exist, and so to think that we can sin in our hiding place. We can sin in secret, and there can be a secret sin. But what are secret sins? A secret sin may refer to a manner of sinning. Some sins are colored as virtues. And there are sins committed outside the public eye of the world. A church leader, a man may be a church leader, but he abuses his family in privacy without the other people knowing. A secret sin can also be a family member who uses computer with the screen turned from the other. A man and woman may indulge in pornography without family members knowing. Now remember, since God is omnipresent and omniscient, He knows everything, and He is everywhere. We can never escape from His all-seeing eye. In fact, let's be honest: when you commit your sin in secret, you just behave like an atheist and imagine God does not exist. And in that point of sinning in secret, you just forget every. Theology, biblical truths concerning the omniscience and omnipresence of God. At that point, you behave like an atheist who don't believe the existence of God. When we sin, we don't want Him around. But in fact, when we sin in secret, God is watching. God is watching you sinning in secret. So remember, my friends, confess all sins, including secret sins, to God. Don't hide it. And I want to insert one reminder here: make good use of the means of grace by God. Once you have received the grace, you enjoy the blessings. Do not turn back and sin willfully again. Now there are times that we still sin willfully and think we still have means of grace after all, and after all, that's the function of the means of grace for us to soothe the guilt, to relieve. After all, that's the function of the means of grace. So we might as well think we still can sin willfully and abuse the means of grace. Now the consequence is that. We take the means of grace lightly, and we don't take sin seriously. Listen to the reminder from the from Thomas Mentham. He mentioned that there's some people make amends for a course of sin in one kind, 
by abounding in other duties. As some that live in uncleanness will be charitable to excuse or expiate for the offenses of a filthy life. For example, an officer may knowingly cheat his clients for a huge amount of money, but make a nice contribution to the church just to ease and soothe his guilt. A man may cheat on his wife, but still aim to raise his kids well. A kid may steal money from his parents, but still work hard from the school. We often work hard in one area so that we can feel less guilty about sin in another area. And my friend, this too is dangerous if we are using our means of grace in this way. Especially when we sin in secret, some people will purposely use the means of grace to just to lessen the guilt and burden in their conscience, but without any deep regret and repentance. And I think the Apostle Paul gave one of the most serious warnings regarding the use of the means of grace. Listen to how he said in 1 Corinthians 11, 28-30, Let the person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of a cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. That was a serious warning, and why are some Corinthians weaker than the others? Why were some Corinthians died? And Paul links all these consequences to the church defiling the means of grace, holy communion. And we can even express this, understand this in the more broadly terms, that if we sin willfully, and we do not repent, but simply abusing and using the means of grace in the casual manner, be aware of the consequences. Paul and David remind all of us that sin can indeed bring illness and death. And it's true that not all suffering, death, and sickness come from one simple behavior. But bear in mind that if something happened to you suddenly to, in your life today, you may want to reflect and think immediately whether there's any unconfessed or unrepentant sins. My friend, do not play with sin. Do not underestimate sin. And do not abuse the means of grace. Now we also need to remember whether it's stated or us, we are forgiven for our past sin when we confess our sins to God, but consequences remain. And sometimes such consequences involve the horror of remembering what we did and whom we sinned against in the past. Or it could be physical effects or financial economy hardships. For example, uncontrolled alcohol leads to liver damage, or careless spending leads to financial hardship. 
So remember, sin always deceives us to escape, that you can escape from the eyes of God. But David tells you that God has the all-seeing eye. He has the all-understanding about your sin, whether they be past, present, and future, including the sin you committed in secret. So do not hide your sin. Quickly come to God. Pray for His forgiveness. And sin does not only just bring terrible, horrible results and deceives us, and it also provides us an excuse. Sin's excuse, I can deal with it later. Now, as a man who has been there, David now offers a word of advice to all Christians. Do not delay your confession. And David appeals to all of us, say that, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Now, my friends, you should know that if you have even a tiny spark of repentance today, if you are saddened and sorrow by your sin, you should thank God because that's the work of God. And quickly come to God and repent your sin because God is the only hiding place. Don't run to anywhere. Run to God and confess your sin. And later on, David made a very powerful conclusion. Another picture. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mill without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Now, the whole scene is like a man trying to call the horse to move from the room, move from the stable, but the horse, the mill, just won't move. And the owner has the only one option. He needs to pull the horse or the mule by using the bit and the curb and the bridle. In other words, what David is trying to say is, don't wait for God to pull you out, to force you out to confess your sin. Do not wait for God to force you to confess your sin, and that will be a terrible consequence. Don't be like me who stubbornly and foolishly refuses to confess your sins to God. Don't wait until God pulls you out and confess your sin. I was very foolish and covered all my sin until the hand of God was heavy upon me. And my body was corrupted by sin. I went through pain and I confessed my sin only after Prophet Nathan rebuked me. Do not do this, but come to God and confess your sin willfully and you will surely receive the grace and you will surely receive the joy of the forgiveness of sin. And that's exactly what David said in verse 11. Many are the sorrows of the wicked but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. 
That's the joy of the confession of sin. But conversely, he who delays and refuses to confess their sins will suffer like those wicked. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. So that's the function of sin. He tells you that. It tells you that you can excuse from your sins and you can take time, you can even delay, and you can even refuse to confess your sin. And sin will tell you, it doesn't matter. There is no need to confess your sin. It will be all right when you move on. Time is the healing peel. Isn't that what we naturally think and do? And I can tell you this, once you think in this way and don't deal with sin, you will gradually be so insensitive to sin. The act of delaying confession tells us that we don't really take sin that seriously, though we claim that sin brings death. The more actively and willingly you confess, the more actively you will deal with sin and you will understand how horrible of, of the sin. So friends, my family, brothers and sisters, confess your sin as soon as you can. Do not delay. My friends, I was in a heavy mood when I was preparing this sermon. The sermon was done in pain and suffering. And I have never felt this way in my past experience of preparing my sermon because on the one hand, I'm just a sinner. It was so confused for me and it was even a paradox for me to be a sinner to proclaim the horror and preach about the consequence of sin because as a sinner, it is in my natural response that I am so insensitive to sin that it is my natural tendencies to love sin. But to preach sin as a sinner, it's so confused, but the Bible just shows me the horror and the ter terrifying way of sin's consequence. But on the one hand, I see that sin has a serious consequence and impact in some way, especially in David's life. And my concern is that how many people sitting here today listening to the sermon have sinned and refused and delayed to repent and how many have experienced the cause of sin like David. And I think the Puritan John Owen's book in his work the mortification of sin is worthy of our consideration and reflection and practice be killing sin or sin will be killing you be killing sin Christian or sin will be killing you simple and brutal yet so frightening and so true. Another Puritan, William Gurner, gave us another warning. Never, never, never think of to find 
honey in the pot when God writes poison on its cover. If God call it folly, there is no wisdom to be found in it. Christians, don't play with sin. And finally, God has prepared a true gospel for us in Christ. There's one precious verse that we recite every Holy Communion Sunday. And it's taken from 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. If we confess our sins, if you confess your sin, remember God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The blood of Christ provides cleansing and forgiveness of your sins and it is sufficient for the forgiveness of sin and it is the only way to be forgiven. There is no other way. You cannot self-redeem. You cannot self-help. You need help from Jesus. And I think we should be horrible and terrified by the consequences of sin. And remember, as you build up the theology and the biblical foundation regarding sin, you will surely and surely and surely treasure this means of grace, confession. Because there's no other way, but only way, Christ Jesus can help you. So my friends, you know it now. And Christians, kill sin, deal with sin, and don't play with sin. And finally, confess your sin willingly to God. Let's pray together. Father, it is in your promise that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And just as how you tells us, just as, as far as the east from, east from the west, and you will throw away our sin, you will forgive our sin in that way. And you will remember our sin no more if we confess our sin. So I don't know, Father, there's some of us who are troubled by sin. You know them personally. And I pray that would you prompt them to come to you willingly and confess their sin to you. Let them know that you are the only hiding place. You are the only protection. You are their shield. Help them, Father, and help all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.